Welcome to the Inspire Podcast. My name is Kyle Hastings, and I will be sharing stories and talking with everyday people who will encourage, will inspire, and will motivate. Throughout my journey of life, I have been very lucky to meet many beautiful people with amazing stories of transformation and growth. Inspirate is here to bring out the best of you. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another Inspirate podcast. My name is Kyle Hastings. This podcast is going to be a two-part podcast. I have the honor to interview Miss Ann Fiermeyer. Miss Ann Fiermeyer was born in 1930, October 4th, 1930. She is coming up on 91 years young. She has lived through multiple, multiple generations of American history, starting obviously in 1930 and all the way up to today and continuing where she's seen everything. She's seen the beauty of life and she's seen the sadness of heartbreak in her life and we're going to talk all about that. Hope you guys enjoy this two-part podcast with Miss Ann Fiermeyer. 90 plus great years and counting. Enjoy the podcast. This podcast wouldn't be possible if it was not for the help of the Tory Foot and Ankle Specialists located in Homer Glen and New Lenox, Illinois. With fall sports season starting, so will the unfortunate foot and ankle injuries of your young athletes and yourselves. Allow Dr. Chris Vittori and Dr. Amit Thakrar treat your foot and ankle injuries with world-class care and the latest technology. Call Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist at 708-273-7080 or visit them at VittoriFootClinic.com. Well, welcome. Thank you so much, Ms. Fiermeyer, uh, for allowing me to interview you and to share your story, to share your your beautiful story of 90 years of experience. Going to be 91 on October 4th, correct? Yes. Wow. And you, you've seen it. You've seen everything from um, the, uh, the telephone to the TV to a cell phone to the computer to... The internet, mm-hmm. the cable TV, to watching more television channel television channels than than you've known you've known to do uh, back in the day. It's it's probably the the amount of growth that you've seen is is really really something else. So one of the notes I have, we're going to go from the very beginning. You were born October fourth, nineteen thirty. Now I wrote some more notes down of other things that happened on October fourth, nineteen thirty. You were born on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. That was a Saturday. The United States president was Herbert Hoover when you were born. The uh, United Kingdom prime minister was Ramsey MacDonald. Pope Pius XI was the Pope of the Catholic Church at the time. Movie Billy the Kid was released. I don't know if you remember that, the movie Billy the Kid. It was supposedly a top movie. Uh, in the 1930s, and it was also released on that day. You were born in between World War One and World War Two. World War One was from June of 1914 to November of 1918. The Great Depression started in August of 1929 and ended in March of 1933. World War Two started September. 1939 and ended September 1945. And the world was introduced to Miss Ann Fiermeyer Saturday, October 4th, 1930. And you grew up in Kentucky, correct? Yes. So tell me about your your your, your life in Kentucky from the earliest memories you had uh, from your grandparents. And you were telling me before your grandparents were 1800, were born in the 1800s. Uh, from and we're going to talk a little bit, uh, a little bit more, all the way up to uh, you were f- four years old. So you grew up on a family farm in Kentucky. Tell us a little bit about that. Did you have chores? Uh, uh, that's a young age. I don't know how far back you remember at four years old. If there's any vague memories you have on the farm. Well, like li- we lived on a farm, but I mean they didn't have toys like they have today. We didn't see those, so we, you know, really lived in Paintsville. You know, a few years later, when I was about five, matter of fact, that's when Dad was killed, you know, in 1935. Then we moved into Painesville. Painesville, okay. Yeah. 
It was so, 15 miles away. 15 miles away. So you're a very sad story. Your, your dad was a sheriff. Yes. Was the sheriff in the community. And and he was killed in, on the line of, in the line of duty when you were four years old. Mm-hmm. When you were four years old. Do you have uh, a lot of memories? That's pretty young. Uh, you were very, very young at four years old. I don't have any memories. I, I can't recall any memories. Do you have memories uh, that far back of you, you and Dad? Oh, yes. Yeah. And what what did you guys do? What what were some of your fun activities that you remember doing? You mean with him? Or yes. With, what, yeah. Well, we didn't have much toys, you know, because he was in the process of building a home. You know, we, I was born in a log cabin. In a log cabin? I was. I was born in a log cabin, and then they were building a house next door. We had about a 120-acre farm, and they were in the process of building the house when he was killed. And then we moved to, to Paintsville, and we were there because Mom could get a job there. And with, Anyway, that's where we were for about three years or so. And then we moved back. To, to the, but we moved back to the new house that had been built. On the farm, what did you guys have on the farm? What was it with, uh, with crops, or was it more of a with animals? No, Dad used to have a twenty-acre mule team that people would borrow the mules or rent them, you know, for if they needed a few for doing some heavy hauling or something. And uh, they lived in Prestonburg. During before I was born, you know what I mean. But that was mm-hmm. what he did. He had, he had ran a 12, twenty mule team operation. And what's a mule team? I've never it, heard that. Before. Well, there were twenty horses are pulling. They call it a twenty mule team when they're going to pull something really heavy. They would. So they needed twenty mules. So it was true horsepower before yeah, they would cars keep, had horsepower. Yeah, it was not unusual to see four horses. You know, sometimes you know, but right. usually you had two. You know, they were for the plows together. or the, the and then the they, rates. yeah, it was. But you know, actually, they said that when Dad when they first moved there, Dad planted a lot of rye because rye grows fast, and then some people even rented space because they could come and feed their animals on our place. They just had a few. You know, I don't know how they repaid, you know what I mean? But they just, you know, it was so plentiful. And then, you know, rye would regrow real quick. But anyway, it's... Was rye a feed for the animals? Yeah. Because it was so Yeah, like plentiful. it almost looked like straw. You know, it was a grass or... Get, but when it was, it looked like hay, you know, when you'd see it in the barn. Did you have jobs around the farm? Did you have jobs that you had to do around the farm? Well, not at my age, but we did when we moved back. Yeah. So they milk the cow, and we hold the crops, and help can, and wash the cans, and help canning, and yeah, I've got a lot of experience. <laughs> wow, so very sad story. I was in law enforcement for a while, and and I, I I've seen I've I've seen some funerals, and I've been a part. I haven't known anybody that that passed away personally in the line of duty. Your your dad passed away at four. And that changed your your home, your life. How how many siblings? You had six at yes, the time. I'm youngest of six. You're the and I'm the oldest of six oh. in my family. So we also have a big family. Being the youngest of six, what were the ages of your siblings? Then Ed was about thirteen, and then Ruth was about say eleven and a half. Paul was like ten, and then when it was two or three years, it dropped down, and then. Uh, like I was four, almost five. That I was five that year, and then I, we were about a couple years apart. And then Jenny was next, you know, before me, and then Chris. But they just had about two and a half years. There was like a set of three, and then about two and a half years, and it had three more. Right. A total of six. So you moved up to Pikesville, and that was more of a community, more of a town, not a farm. Yes. And your, you said your mom, she, she began to work up there. Yeah, she worked in a sewing shop. My mom was a great seamstress, and she, that was where she, there was a job available, so she worked. And I stayed with my aunt. They lived in Paintsville. In Paintsville as well. So right around that time uh, was the Great Depression. The Great Depression was going on then as well. Now, your, your mom being a seamstress, that, that is a, a job that is in demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of 
uh, if it was a depression or not, people people need their clothes hemmed or their clothes fixed, and it's a specific skill. What was life for you from what you remember during the Depression, during the Depression years in, in Pikesville, Kentucky? Well, I mostly think about, you know, my grandfather, was, which was my dad's father, he lived on a farm, and he used to bring food, and I never realized it, was, it had been 15 miles, but he used to bring the food down to us in Paintsville, you know, like big sacks of cornmeal and flour and different things they grew. He would bring the stuff, and I never realized what the distance had to been, but but this is the way they got around. But would he would carry it? No, he had a sled or a wagon, and he would have a horse, two horses pulling this wagon, and he would bring food for us that he grew on the farm. Wow! So yeah. you, you didn't, you weren't hungry, as some no. of the stories like during the depression. <laughs> no. I'm gonna move this chair up a little bit. You you would hear stories of of uh, young children are hungry, and but since you were on a farm, food was plentiful, mm -hmm. and, and you knew how to utilize resources, basic resources, versus being dependent in a city where you're dependent on others. Now, Grandpa would bring the the cornmeal to you guys, uh, 15 miles uh, on a horse and on a buggy. And a buggy sometimes, or pulling a sled. And pulling it. Yeah, I mean, he, but he would be, it's amazing. And when I look back and I think about that, it was. Now, did your did your grandfather or your grandparents, were? did they fight in the Civil War? Were they a part of any of the post-Civil War issues or any of the Civil War times? Well, one of them, I have to think that for a minute. One of them went to the Civil War, but he caught um, some kind of a flu bug. There was some kind of a illness that went around, and he passed away. You know, and he 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 went, but he didn't really get into the war because he he got this germ that was very prevalent at that time. And it got him. Yeah. Wow. And your and your other grandfather. Um, he was passed away before I was born. Before you were born. So you lived in a log cabin. You moved to Pikesville. Mom was a seamstress. And this was all during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. your, your dad passed away. How how were things at home? Who took care of you? You were a little girl. You were, you were a baby, four years old, five <laughs> years old. So was it your brothers and sisters that mm -hmm. stepped up? And you said you lived with your aunt. Who, I just who, lived in the aunt in the daytime. You know, I would okay. go. At, yeah, we, I was at home at night, and, and they would take me to her house during the day, and then I'd come and get me. And we, you know, when I went to school in Paintsville, you know, all of us went to the same school, high school, and it was all in one. It was very nice, though, but it was all, we were all in the same place at the same time. Did your older brothers and sisters teach you any lessons when you were younger, when you were, when you were a guest with your aunt, when you were staying with your aunt? and you had to move up to Paintsville. Do they teach you any lessons that you remember of, of character and integrity and hard work? If we stepped out of line, as they would say, they would say, Dad would not have been proud of you if you did that, so don't, you never want to have any shame or any, uh, you know, regrets, you know. So, and, and the first thing they told us that when we, People knew who we were because it was everywhere, everywhere. We knew about the murder that had happened and all. But they used to tell us if we went in the dime store and there was something that we wanted, if you don't have money, you don't take it. You don't want people saying that Victorian's kids think they can do what they want because their dad was a sheriff. And so we were brought up to be almost, you know, double watched. And we never. I mean, it's one thing, and I always instill to my kids as well that you don't take something that doesn't belong to. If you can't afford it, you don't take it. And I mean, it's just the way we were. No free, no freebies. No. No, you, and you had to earn every every bit, and you could not use the the tragedy of your dad as a crutch. You could not use it as a, a an opportunity for. I would hate to say any type of uh, give out. Uh, you earned it. You, you had to say no. If someone had offered you something and, and pity, you, you said, no, I have to earn that. Mm -hmm. And that was uniform with all your brothers and sisters. Right. So the house was finished on the farm, and you were seven years old, eight years old? 
Well, when we went back, uh, we were about seven. I went to first grade. Explain the house. So you went from a log a log cabin to a new beautiful home that was built. Well, it was uh, three bedrooms, and they were. He was in the process. He never finished the upstairs. I mean, it, but it was laid out. It was been a two story house, and there was a porch that went three on three sides of it, and so. It's really crazy the way they have it. You're, you're, here's the house, and then they have your kitchen. So we had to go outside, out of the bedrooms, out on the porch to get into the kitchen. But then he was going to put a door, you know, in a, from one bedroom into the dining room. But he never got it finished, and that's the way the house stayed. So it's not unusual, though, down there to see somebody that they have, like, two sides, you know. Right. But the porch went around on three sides. So to go to go get some milk from the kitchen, from the bedroom, before you go to school, you would literally have to go outside. Right, exactly. You'd have to put on a coat if it was chilly. Well, depending on the weather. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you also had the 120-acre farm that yes. was still there. And did you guys, did the family still work the farm, even though you were in Pikesville? Most of the, no, our, our, our boys, our, my brothers were not, you know, they were early teens. And no, they didn't, uh, but sometimes people that lived there, they wanted to rent some space. If they wanted to grow tobacco or they wanted to grow something, they would rent a space. And then we'd get some revenue from that. But fortunately, we had a gas well on our property, so it did supply gas for cooking, so which was nice, you know. This is sort of, it's shocking to me because I hear growing, you know, myself growing up hearing stories of the Great Depression and and the the poverty and the struggles so many went through. Living in a rural area, you weren't faced at all by it. Your family wasn't really faced by the Great Depression as a child and, and your family as, as older children and your mom because you had so many resources, so many avenues of of needs such as fuel, you had crops, you had food. Your family wasn't phased at all by the Great Depression, was it? No, not as much as some people. We didn't know that much about it because we didn't even know about depression back then. It was just the way people lived. But they, we also had gas lights, and we didn't have to have oil lamps, you know. E- explain a gas light because I do not know what a gas light is. Well, it's just like your stove. I mean, they hook the lights up, and there's... And there's a little lamp. So a gas pipe. Yeah, a gas it. pipe up the wall, and then there's a little light on there, and then you can turn it on or off. For the brightness. Yeah. Thank you so much to our newest sponsors, Palermo's of 63rd Street. Palermo's authentic Italian food made with quality ingredients and unique sauces has attracted vast attention and praise for their sweet, distinctive qualities. Palermo's of 63rd Pizza has been recognized nationally as Chicago's best. Palermo's at 63rd Street now has three locations to better serve its customers. The original location at 63rd and Hamlin in Chicago. Palermo's at 63rd and Frankfurt at 446 South LaGrange Road. And Palermo's of 63rd and Miraville at 2893 East 81st Avenue. Visit Palermo's at 63rd to get all three location numbers at www.palermosof63rd.com. When you order your pizza, tell them Kyle sent you. A special thank you to Mr. Robert and Miss Amy Parsons for your contribution to the Inspirate Podcast. Your contribution is very, very appreciated, and thank you so much for believing the mission and what we strive to do with the Inspirate Podcast. If you'd like to sponsor or you'd like to contribute to the Inspirate Podcast, you can visit us at www com backslash sponsor. So we were very lucky when we went back to the farm because we were used to electricity when we lived in Paintsville. So when we moved back there, we had gas lights. I mean, wow. I mean, it's... That, that's really neat. How long did you live in the new house at the farm? Well... About uh, six years or so, because we moved to Indiana when I was 13. And, and what was that like going from rural, from a farm community, where you had to fend for yourself for everything? 
you you were dependent on you and your family for everything that had to be done for food, for fuel, for survival. You probably did. You guys walk to school. You mean at uh, in Paintsville? Yes. Oh, we were just only a block from the school. Okay, so so you were relatively close, but it was still a rural community. When your family made the decision to move up to Indiana, where in Indiana did you guys move? We moved to East Chicago, Indiana. My oldest brother had joined the Marines because you know the war had started in like '41, and we moved to Indiana in '43, and ended like ended '44. What was that like going from a farm, living on a farm, to East Chicago, which is exploding with industry and? Uh, there was the steel, a huge steel industry that was happening, that was booming there. East Chicago was was a vibrant, productive time of the of early 1940s. It was mm-hmm. it was hustling. Mm-hmm. What was that like for being a little girl that was 13 years old to move up to East Chicago from the farm? Well, you know what was really funny. You probably laugh if you even think about it, but. When we, we was called Indiana Harbor, it was a section, you know, of mm-hmm. East Chicago. And the streets were so wide, I couldn't even imagine I was ever going to get across, you know, when we went to Main Street. You know, it just seemed like, how would I ever get across? Because the streets were so much smaller and more narrow in Paintsville. I, think, I just look back and think, how funny, you know. Was it scary? I, well, it was, you know, I thought, who's going to help me get across the street, you know what I mean? But, right. Because, but we were, we, we always were very cautious, very careful, usually Jenny, you know, because we were close in age, but my sisters, you know, we usually went together, usually rarely. I went up there by myself, but I mean, but, you, you know, eventually you do, and I went to high school then, that so fall. You guys always went in groups, went in pairs, you were trying to be usually. as safe as possible. And that was learned on the farm, where you have to be safe because a doctor is a long time away, possibly. Yes. So you're in East Chicago when the war starts. World War II starts. War had started. The war had started when you guys moved up already. Cars started to become prevalent right around World War II. Everybody was getting cars, correct? Were there a lot of cars in Paintsville and on the farm? We had a car, but... Mom sold it. It was a Model A or Model T, whatever, you know. I remember Dad driving it. Because one time he drove me to the doctor because I got up on a shelf and fell down. And I I had to have, uh, you know, it looked at. And I'll never forget it. I still can remember him driving. It amazes me, though, as I got older, how in the world they ever figure out how to, you know, drive a car, you know. They were a different kind of stick shift back then, weren't yes. they? Yes. <laughs> they right there on the floor. When you were in Paintsville, what was the community support like when your father passed away? Did everyone come together and help and help your family? Because he was the sheriff. He was probably the rec- most recognized person in the community. Well, we didn't stay in. We were in Redbush. We were 15 Redbush. miles from Redbush, Kentucky. That's where we lived when he passed away. Okay. And then, well, that's when we figured, we moved into Paintsville, and we were there for about three years, and then we moved back to the farm. Right. Wow. So East Chicago comes, big, big city from a very, very small town. How big was Redbush? How many people? Oh, not very many. 100, 200? <laughs> I doubt if there was even a hundred because you know the, the houses are pretty far apart and um, no, we didn't, there weren't that many people. And then you move to East Chicago, and there's <laughs> thousands of people. Very overwhelming to see that many people. I yes. couldn't imagine seeing that many people. Did you guys build a home? Did you live in a home or were you in an apartment? We rented a house. Okay. I don't think they had apartments then. Okay, or a flat. I don't know what they would... Uh, in Paceville, we lived on 3rd Street. We lived near what they call the Mayo Mansion. And Mayo Mansion was built in the 1800s. I guess they were very wealthy people, but they also were very helpful. And they have been over the years. They still... I don't know if they rent out or whatever, but they provide a space. And they have groups come in. Like, say, for instance, the uh, right... Airfield, you know, the Wright brothers. Yes. Um, people 
were capable of working there, but they had, but they let them, they bring somebody in from uh, Ohio, you know, down to, to train the people, and then they can go back and work in factories. And they're still doing that. You still hear them, uh, they still provide, but also they also say that the Mayo Mansion is the first house that ever had, uh, they had gas lights, or they might have had electricity, you know, back in the 80s, but it was the first one that ever had uh, f facilities, you know. Like we didn't have, we had gas lights and we did have electricity though in Paintsville, but. Was your family considered fortunate for having gas lights to having the gas Oh, we lights? were, it was an incredible. You know, we had, we had a gas well and we had an oil well. Were other families jealous of that? Was there jealousy that you had, you had such luxury, at, at a time where oil, a lot of the home, homes were still fed on oil lights and, and oil for the stove? No, we were, we we would we burned gas. We know we never had to cook with oil, it mm -hmm. um, in the new house. I don't know if they might have you know any the, when they lived in log cabin, but we had gas. We always had. And then a few years later, after we moved back to Paintsville, though, then they started uh, hooking homes up to electricity. Wow, I, that's just amazing that the the technology that you saw at that time was night and day of mm -hmm. going from gas to electricity, and everybody must have been just beyond happy of the convenience and the ease now of that and the safety, because I'm sure there was. There's a lot of unsafe homes that had gas pipes put in that, you know, a lot of unnecessary fires, mm -hmm. you know, or, or a lot of things that could have gone wrong. Couldn't imagine a gas light. Can you imagine a gas light? We have, uh, we have uh, Ms. Fearmeyer's son, uh, Carl, here, and a, a good friend of ours, Kenny, he's here as well, and they're, they're hearing the story. I don't know if there's a lot of this that, if, that you've heard before, any of, these, any of these little tiny nuggets, Carl. I'm actually learning a lot listening to some more to the detail. I mean, my mom has always been great about sharing that story, but it is amazing to kind yeah. of take that journey back through her eyes. That's awesome. I don't know if you if that came across, but uh, this is some of the first times that Carl's heard some of these stories as well, and it's it's very very. Uh, I can't even think of a word to describe it. How how rich these stories are, and to hear firsthand how an individual like yourself experienced these changes, these these almost like an unworldly change of technology of having electric versus gas. You move up to East Chicago. The streets are so much bigger. There's <laughs> cars all over. Everybody's so fast in such a hurry. What did your mom do for work when she came up to East she Chicago? She worked at a sewing factory. Now, a sewing factory as in making clothes? Yes, or? they made uniforms for bands, you know, for high school. You know, they had... They, whatever they order, you know, but usually the same person does like a sleeve or, you know, usually some of them may be able to do more than one process. But I mean, but basically that's what you do. They just keep putting, you're going to sew the pants, you know. It's, an assembly line of clothes, more or less a, like an assembly line for pants yes. and shirts. How long did your mom work there? Um, probably two or three years because then we moved back to the farm. Okay, so you moved up to East Chicago. And then you move back down to Kentucky. No, not no. from East Chicago. Okay, so you're in East Chicago. And so your mom worked at a sewing factory yes. in East Chicago. And then how long did she work at that sewing well, factory? Well, she worked there for a while. Then she, then she worked at a department store. Really? Yeah. And how was life changed for mom from going from a factory to a department store, which is very luxurious? You know, people love it because being a department store, I'll never forget it was Ghoul's store. That was the name of the store. Ghoul's was their last okay. name. But they had a, like a two-story, and mom worked in the yard goods, and people loved to go there because she knew so much about materials and was able to help them, you know, get patterns and, you know, how to cut the stuff. You know, she was really an asset to the store. People loved when my mom worked there. She became an expert at landscaping. Well, yeah, I mean, because she had experience from working in factories, and but she knew the difference, you know, back in like how many yards you'd need for something or 
it was always fun because then when people associated that that was my mom, you know, like when I was in, oh, your mom, oh, she was so nice. I went there, you know, and she was so good to help me, uh, you know, decide which colors and what would go nice together. No, it was, a, you know, my mom was always a very proud, very, uh, very nice looking you know, I mean, she always presented herself, and I just, all of us kind of, we, we couldn't, we, we couldn't let anybody see us in a bad side, you know what I mean? You had to be, you know, polite or be courteous to people. Right. You came into, is it freshman year of high school at East Chicago? That was probably your first or second year in the big city, was your freshman year. What type of struggles did you have coming from a small farm town to the big city high school as a 13-year-old girl? And there's so much going on in your life as a, as a girl. Uh, and then now you have a brand new environment, a brand new home. Everything is, is fast-paced and new. What was that like? Even some of the kids like to tease me. And, you know, back in those days, there, there were so many different nationalities of people that spoke different languages. And, but they used to call me hillbilly, you know. And, and I didn't realize, but I would tell them sometimes, your mother can't even speak English, so don't try to poke fun at me, you know. You throw it right back at them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you weren't taking any crap. <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> Well, you had a southern. You had a southern. Uh, I had a southern accent. accent, you know, and and I didn't want to tell them I was from Kentucky. So I, some some they started calling me Texas Annie for some reason. I don't know what because I thought that was better. And then my brother, when he came on, uh, he was uh, he was in had been in the Marines. He was home on a furlough, and he says, "Don't ever tell anybody you're from Texas." You know, he said Kentucky's a great place to be from. Don't. But I just thought that they didn't. You know, they call me Texas Annie instead of Hillbilly Annie. You know? <laughs> why were you? Why did you not want to tell them about Kentucky? Well, I think there were part of it because you know, anytime like they'll say, you know, like where does your dad work or different things. You know, people are curious. You know, and then you tell them, well, my dad was killed, and you know, then they look at the different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, this is this is real life. Where where we have a. Uh, we are in Ms. Fearmeyer's uh, dining room area, and we we have the phone ringing. So this is a real we're we're in a real life recording studio here, and it's it's fantastic. So you would share that your dad was was uh, was killed, and that was a part of why you didn't want to get into about Kentucky, why you had to move up here from Kentucky. Right. Well, it was uh, a change for us, and you know, it was uh, it was a lot to deal with. How many brothers did you have? I had two brothers and three sisters. Did both of your brothers serve in the military during the World War II conflict? No, my um, my brother Ed joined the Marines, and then my it was a girl in between Ruth and you know Edgar, Ruth and Paul, and Paul wanted to join the Navy, but he had had an accident on a swing when uh, he was we lived in Paintsville. They used to get those swings; they were in the they were huge, but they would swing and somebody would pump and somebody would be sitting Well, Paul was doing it. Somebody, he slipped out and the swing hit him in the back of the neck. And he didn't pass the uh, exam when they, uh, you know, because he's trying to join the Navy. And they even asked him because they took x-rays and everything and they could see that something was wrong. But would you believe though that they drafted him in the Korean War? So he he wasn't physically capable for World War Two, right? But they drafted him for Korea, right? Makes no sense. Wow, you and you would think they would welcome him with open arms with the global conflict of what World War Two was. They would accept anybody to to join the armed forces. Yeah, they drafted him, you know, because you know they had an age range, or you know they'd give you so many chances to get to get examined and whatever. And but he he was in Korea. Was he in the army? Yes. Okay, so he was drafted in the army. Yeah, he was in a career, I think, for about a year or so. Wow. Wow. So 13 years old, you have four years in high school, in East Chicago High School. Did you meet anybody while in high school, or right after high school? Did I meet? Anybody special? 
No. Did uh, Mr. <laughs> Fuermeyer? Oh, I met him. Um, I worked in a. Actually, I will be honest with you. I graduated when I was still seventeen. I wasn't eighteen until that fall. But there's a time going right now that's very interesting to me that they're starting to tell more about the beginning of making plastics. And I don't know if you're ever going to look that up, but it's called Bakelite, and they were like the foundation. And I got a job there. They didn't check birth certificates, and I was still 17, but I told them I was 18, and I got a job. And I worked there for five years, and we made radio cabinets, uh, you know, uh, like Maytag agitators, you know, the different things. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, I would love to see this, but somebody from Bakelite, we didn't know for sure if it was Bakelite or Bakelite, but they were had some people there, and then one of the guys came over and asked me if he'd take my picture. He'd like to see me taking a Maytag agitator off the press because there was, they made four at a time. They had to have another operator on that side, and there was two over here. So they had my picture with this Maytag agitator, and I want you to know, a few years later, when I was at the Museum of Science and Industry, I saw that magazine with my picture on it, and I would love to investigate that and see if that's still in the history of, um, the, you know, the museum. Right. I would love to see, because right now, you can look up Bakelite, and they were like the beginning. It, it's been real popular in the computer. Matter of fact, I saw it again yesterday. But it's Bakelite, B-A-K-E-L-I-T-E, Bakelite. And the actual magazine that you were featured yes. on is at the Museum of Science and Industry in yes. Chicago. How did you know about that? Well, I knew they took my picture because I had to sign papers that I wouldn't want to sue them. You know, you had to give them the freedom of publishing. I didn't know what they were going to do with it. But one of the guys that worked or was in a meeting with the people from Bakelite, you know, he come over to the press we were at, and he wanted to know, could they take my picture? <laughs> and I had to sign a paper that I wouldn't sue them. So you didn't want, they couldn't make any money. You couldn't no, make any I, money off of it. But you know what? I felt almost like embarrassed or something because people said, well, why don't you get a job working in an office because it would be so much better than working in a factory because you know, I had to wear blue jeans and, you know, I mean, you... Was that frowned upon for for women to work in a factory? What? Was it frowned upon, looked down oh, upon? Oh, yeah, to people that didn't work there. And, you know, but I said, you know, it was so new, and people didn't, oh, it'll never last, it'll never make it. And, oh, my God, by the time I left there, they were making things for around the doors of refrigerators and really? radio cabinets. and. How did you know the, your magazine was at the Museum of Scientists and Industry? I didn't know. We were just looking at the stuff in the walking along, and... When was this? What, what, what year did you see yourself in the magazine well, at the museum? Well, I would say around 1950. And somewhere in that range. You know what? I would love to call the Museum of Scientists and Industry to see if they even have that picture. I'm, I'm sure we might, know buddies. we might know somebody to see if they have that. I will, I will be right. At the end of the show, I write down all the notes. I listen to it. I was so, wearing blue jeans, and I had a real nice T-shirt that had a kind of zigzag, you know, it was really, it, it was a nice, and I guess that's what they said, your dress perfect to be on this, you know, it was like eight by ten picture. So you're a model, you're a factory model. <laughs> but I had no idea what they were going to do, and I was really floored, because when we went there, you know, they were like a starting to make, they were starting to make different containers for food and many things, because you know, I was there for five years. So a factory job was probably the most stable job you can have yes. in the 1940s and 50s because it's guaranteed work. There's a need for the good. And an office job, would, would that have been considered unstable because the office could close or there was a lot of in, uncertainty with the economy or the market? Uh, the, just I don't know where some of these people worked or have even had a job, you know. But they used to say, oh, but you were so, like, I could really type, you know what I mean? I was, you believe it or not, but on a one, I did type, I typed 125 words a minute, but that's because he didn't make any mistakes. That's how they grade your paper, you know, but that, that's the way it was, you know. Wow. Uh, but people said you could type, you know, I mean, and I was, I was not the head of the class, but I wasn't on the bottom of it either. 
But I made sure I did my homework and to get my, you know, so when when I took the typing test, but that's only because it sounds great to say you type 125 words a minute, but you can because you don't make mistakes. But would you believe, though, that we sat with a keyboard with no numbers, no name, no, no letters on there, but it was a big picture on the wall. And so when you learned where the F key was, you had to look for the wall. And was, all of the keys were blank. So you can sit in front of your computer right now, close your eyes, and you would know what every key is mm-hmm. on it. That's that's so amazing. <laughs> and at 125 words a minute, that's, I can't even. Well, think I did then, you know. But then, but I worked at the factory though for five years. Yeah. And then I got married, and then we bought a house in Lansing, and we they didn't have a way to get there. Back in those days, only had one car if you were lucky. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about that. I'm going to ask you to scoot a little bit closer to the microphone, though. Uh, if you. Oh. Go, yeah, you don't have to lean. We can scoot you forward on the chair if you'd like, if that's easier for you. Uh, no, I'm okay. A- so you you met Mr. Fearmeyer. How did you How did you meet the gentleman? I met him at roller skating. Roller skating. Yeah, I took up roller skating when I was 16 years old. When my 16th birthday, we we had a guy that lived next door to us. That was really nice, and I just talked to him. You know, he was older than me, but he maybe four years or something. But he, he always would say he he went dancing and he went roller skating, and he said, "For your 16th birthday, I'm going to take you roller skating." And he says, and Stan, it was a friend of his, lived a couple blocks away. He said, "We go to roller skating on Friday nights, so when you're 16, I'm going to." We'll both take you, and we can hold you up. And, you know, they strapped their skates on, you know, and I loved skating, and I skated ever since. So my mom gave me a choice between a typewriter or roller skates, and guess what I took? The roller skates. Yeah. Did you know what roller skating was when you were a young girl, when you were in Kentucky? Uh, we we could skate on the streets when we lived in Paintsville. They strapped them on our shoes. But no, uh, we couldn't skate then. We could skate sometimes on a porch because we had three sides on the house. And sometimes we could kind of skate. It was kind of risky, though, because, that, you know, you might get too close to the edge and fall off or whatever. But no, but I took, uh, I took roller skating um, over a typewriter because Mom said she'd buy me one or the other. What was the name of the roller skating it was called was it State called? Roller Rink, and I really didn't know that, but I bought a pair of skates. You know, I, was, I rented them there for a while, but then I, I, I did get the skates. And then I didn't know until years went by, but roller skating wasn't thought of as a very nice sport back then because there were a lot of ruffians, which I didn't know anything about back then. A lot of hoodlums at the roller skating park. Well, they were... You know, some of them would bring booze and they'd put it in the tank. and the Spike? They would spike the drinks? <laughs> well, what they would do is keep the... They would bring a bottle in and put it inside the toilet tank where the water was cold. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, they did. I didn't know, but I mean, I found out later, you know. I didn't drink back then because it wasn't... You know, I don't think you had to have been 21 in Indiana even back then. But anyway, but people, I didn't know that it was thought of as kind of a ruffian uh, sport, but it did. But anyway, that's how I got started roller skating. I used to go over Friday night. That was my big thing, you know. It's state roller rink, it's called. Then I went to the palace. The palace, there was a different area there in Hammond. But the state roller rink, it was on the second floor, and it was just a great, it it was really nice, though. But people came from all over. You know, from Whiting and different areas to come there to roller skate. And then I skated there, and then um, I met Dick. That was Richard, you know, what everybody called him Dick. And I, did, I met him, and at first, you know, he used to just give me a ride home. You know, he always had a car, and sometimes he would, you know, give me a ride home. And, you know, it just got to be... Um, he was a gentleman. He, was, he yeah. had manners. He was proper. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's how that's how I met him. But his brother-in-law also used to skate, and that's how he happened to be at the rink, you know. And it was a, it was, it was they really paid attention to people. There were no ruffians. There was no, you know, what I mean, it was a very they were protectors. 
They, they were protectors. They, yes. they looked out for others. So you would work at the factory, and at 18 years old uh, was the legal age of working, but you, you snuck in at 17. In July of that year. <laughs> in July, and at 17 years old, you were able to start working. And you would was 18. Have, at 18. And then you would, on Friday nights, was the big roller skating night. That was when I first started. But then at the palace, though, it was during the week, you know. But, you know, they skated Sunday afternoons. You know, it was a very nice, uh, well-run, you know. It was a beautiful facility. The pal- Was the palace better than state? Well, it, I, it it was for us. It was just a better floor, and uh, you know, it was it was just nice. I mean, everybody skated though. They came from many areas though to the first rink. But like I said, I didn't know about drinking and that until later years later, because I wasn't interested in that. Oh my God, that was one thing we <laughs> was forbidden. You know. Yeah. So you 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 met Dick at the at the ice at the uh, roller skating rink. How old were you? Um, about eight, 19, 19 or 20. So it was 1950, 1949, mm-hmm. 1950, you met him. And according to my math, World War II just ended. World War II ended, all the troops are home. It's a, uh, the United States is a different world. It's industry, industry is booming. East Chicago and Northwest Indiana is booming with industry. What did Dick do for work? Well, he had uh, been in his service, and um, he, unfortunately, he'd had a problem with his uh, uh, stomach. And anyway, he 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 wasn't working. But I decided that I knew because he'd been in the Air Force, and then <laughs> I won't go too deep into this. But he he went. Uh, um, there was a, 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 a time that they said uh, you didn't need a birth certificate to, um, you know, like, say, prove your age. Or, you know, they couldn't. And if you had had a, a problem with any illness, uh, you know, you, you could still get your job back that you had before you got drafted. And so I talked with Dick and... I'm the one who got him to go to work because he didn't have to get a, you know, didn't have to get a physical because he, he had a problem with his colitis and he mm-hmm. didn't have a, uh, he, 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 they, they couldn't stop him, you know, and he didn't have to tell him. <laughs> so what, where did you get Dick a job at? At, at next door, there was a, he became a, an inspector for, they, uh, he worked for like a rail yards. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it just happened that they—I worked what they call General American Transportation, okay. and then he was uh, something to do with General American. Only it was next door. There's railroad tracks went between the buildings, and it just happened. I told him he, so he got a job with the <laughs> and, railroad. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a great job. Yeah, to, and he got to be the inspector on making the wheels and the things for the trains. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, wow. that's and what he all, did. And it's all because of you. Cause yeah. Because you got him there. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was. When you guys would skate, was there a competition? Or, oh, yeah. And were you a guy, were, were you and Dick competitive skaters together? Or uh, not that then work? as much. Uh, he, he did uh, compete once in Indiana State Meet. But then I never really competed with him. We, we did take lessons together and we did skate, you know, he, he was just really good with timing and doing the dances, you know. And we continued that even after we got married and used to skate in Lansing. And we would still go take lessons to learn the different dances. And just it was just an, a thing that was something we enjoyed. And it was very, very nice. A lot of nice people that we had friends with. And What were name of the names of some of the dances? The what? Names of some of the dances. Oh, like Tango Barn Dance, and you know there was a Viennese Waltz, and you know there were many, you know different blues, and I skated until just a few years ago. God bless you. That's that's I see. Well, I see the roller skating frame right be, right <laughs> behind you there. Yeah, and, that's uh, that's me. That's uh, um, well, was it Lauren there? You know, I mean that's uh but maybe 30 years ago, I don't know. Anyway, that is 
I have uh, I have some nice pictures, you know. That's great. From skating. What was what was your and Dick's favorite song to skate to? I remember when I was a kid, we would have skating parties we would go to, and they would always have like a special song. And if you had, I don't know if you really had when we were roller skating was in grammar school, and there was really no such thing as like boyfriend or girlfriend or any relationship, but. There was always a couple skate. They'd always have couple skate oh, yeah. to a nice song, to like a romantic song. Or a, what was your guys' favorite song to skate to? You know, usually I like the uh, fourteen step. I liked like a marching. You know, I mean that we they, that was what they called the four. You know, like the, um, the I, they they would call out different dances. You know, like tangos or blues or you know. I mean there was, and you learn the dances. You know, and that's how. So they would announce the song prior to... Oh, usually we knew what he would play. I mean, a certain, you know, like the the one guy used to play on the radio, Tulu, for Shet was his name, the organist at the palace. Okay. And we knew that uh, you could he could play anything, but he knew that you had certain songs and would you play this, you know. And and we, do, we took lessons, and then we sometimes would go roller skating in Milwaukee, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, and there were a few people had cars, and a group of us would go up to Milwaukee to roller skate. <laughs> so they would have an organist there, a, a giant organ, a pipe organ, mm-hmm. and he would play the music while you skate. Mm-hmm. When did the transition to record, when they would have a, put a record on or a uh, like a track, any type of recording? Well, sometimes people might just take a break at that time, and then when he goes back to play, then they play because they knew they had a schedule where they usually follow. You know, so we had some really nice... Um, you know, people over the years, you know, that's favorites. So, some very good musicians mm-hmm. that came in. That's neat. Thank you for tuning in to part one of our two-part series with Miss Ann Fearmeyer. 90-plus beautiful years and counting of tremendous experiences, growth, you name it. She has seen it from growing up in rural Kentucky all the way to her beautiful condo where we interviewed her today. Thank you so much to our show sponsors, the doctors at Vittori Foot and Ankle Specialist, Dr. Chris Vittori and Dr. Amit Thakrar. Thank you so much to Plermos of 63rd Street. Plermos of 63rd Street, located in Chicago, Frankfort, Illinois, and Maryville, Indiana, recognized as Chicago's best pizza. And thank you to our newest show contributor, the Parsons Family. Thank you for believing in our message and our mission. We'll see you next Monday with part two with Miss Ann Fearmeyer.